my name is Patricia King and today I have an exciting message for you to hear stop what are you thinking we can't make it look like Patricia King is endorsing fighting <clears throat> hi folks uh, Chris Roseberry here just want to remind you fighting for the faith is listener supported radio that means we depend upon you your generous gifts and your financial contributions to continue to bring this important radio outreach to you as well as to the world. And unfortunately, we don't have the the major cash resources that Patricia King does, but we have you, our listener audience, to help uh, support us financially so that we can keep bringing this radio program to you and to the world. If you don't already support Fighting for the Faith financially, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. And there are perks to being a crew member. Just keep listening to the program to find out what the latest perk is. And, of course, if you would like to make a one-time contribution, you could do so by clicking on the Donate button. Or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send that to Post Office Box 508 Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. All right, on to the program. We loved making it. We hope you enjoyed listening to it. Here we go. Testing. time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith, Wednesday, October 19th, 2011. Mm-mm. I'm looking at what we have on deck here, and uh, man, <laughs> there's some crazy stuff. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough, and I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and to help you compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. Uh, you know, listen, uh, writing church parody is really difficult nowadays because the church continues to parody itself. Just absolutely just say and do some of the craziest things and say some of the most outrageous and just bad like not it's not that it's true or false i mean it would i mean that would be an improvement it's just banal it's silly it's 
absurd it's oh man so you know i'm looking at my schedule here looking at uh, the program docket and uh, you know i'm going to make a decision <laughs> like right off the bat because here's the deal one of the things i enjoy doing if you are you know a regular listener to the program then you know that usually i start off with some type of a mini uh, monologue you know, but, you know, t- trying to set up the program in a way and uh, tacitly, well, it to you know, kind of like lay the foundation that I try to build each program on. Each program has a theme, and this is another one of those ones where I couldn't work a theme out. Uh, the the theme for today's program, uh, and I don't normally discuss the theme, uh, you know, at least verbalize what it is. Uh, you know, you can you could backwards engineer it. You uh, if you tried, it's not that hard, but uh, today's theme is uh, well, train wreck. <laughs> it's just uh, you know, you ever seen you ever seen uh, you know photographic or video footage on the news of uh, of a train wreck? I mean, these things are horrible. I mean, they are just just flat out awful. And when you look at you know the aftermath of a train wreck, there are there is you know train cars and and things strewn all over the place and. Uh, to, you know, to to detect a particular threat or a theme for train wreck, just train wreck is just everything gone wrong, everything gone bad all at once, and and so it's like there's nothing organized about this edition of Fighting for the Faith. So um, here's what we're going to talk about. We are going to uh, I'm going to <laughs> how do I even start this program off? Which one? <laughs> Eeny meeny miny. Okay, so. We <laughs> Okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to uh, start off with a Harold Camping update. Um, yeah, he continues to get ink, uh, digital ink in the digital media. And uh, I just, I mean, here's what, today is the 19th. You've only got two days left. Hope you, you know, get your stuff in order. But, to, uh, get, you know, there's another story that's hit the, the you know, the, the digital news wires regarding him. Uh, talking about the fact that you know, kind of underscoring this idea that God apparently God stopped saving people on May 21st. So we got a Harold Camping update. I got another uh, <laughs> Chally's. Uh, he, oh man, he he's uh, working his way through this. Uh, this is it John Eldridge. Yeah, I think that's his name. Uh, this this latest book by uh, John Eldridge, and <laughs> he put. <laughs> He has a blog post entitled The Worst Gift Ever. <laughs> and I have to agree with Charlie's. It's like wh- what? <laughs> and uh, and then from there we're going to uh, we're going to switch gears. We're going to switch gears to uh to, to I Yeah, after last week, if you remember last week, I think it was on Friday's episode of Fighting for the Faith, I played a Will Mancini lecture at a uh, exponential conference and I you know, it, it didn't make the best radio, but I mean, I did I, at the end of it, I was like um, farther away from understanding personal vision than I was before I heard the lecture, and I, you know, I played it for you, and uh, and one of you, one of the listeners um, on my Facebook wall posted a link to a video uh, put out by Leadership Network. You know, that it's a commercial for uh, Will Mancini's book Church Unique, and. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I I can't wait to play this thing for you because it doesn't make any sense. I mean, and uh, in I'll I'll kind of you know I'll let you listen to it, see if you can make heads or tails of it. But uh, I've got my own take on this thing that uh, 
I, I got to share for you. And then, then, then there's another crazy news story. Apparently, atheists have set up a support group for unbelieving pastors. Oh, I mean, isn't that just kind and humanitarian of them to reach out to unbelieving pastors? That's <laughs> if you are an unbelieving pastor, may I suggest that maybe you shouldn't be a pastor? Just you know, some you know something there. And then for our sermon review today, and I'm gonna, I'm going to warn you ahead of time. I am not going to get through the whole sermon. Um, having listened to the whole thing, um, I'm going to go a little bit more than halfway through this thing. But the name of the, the the name of the sermon is Transforming Church. It's preached by a gentleman by the name of Eddie Jones of Christian Life Center in Rolla, Missouri. Rolla, Missouri. And uh and I mean in 36 minutes into the sermon, I mean I lost track of <laughs> how many false, bad, horrible just erroneous statements that were made by Eddie Jones. I mean, you know, they, again, it kind of fits with our theme for today. And I normally don't discuss the theme out loud, but the theme for today is just train wreck. This is the, that's the name of, the, uh, that's the theme for this edition of Fighting for the Faith. It's just a <laughs> complete and utter train wreck. So, you know, I, rather than doing a monologue and doing whatever we do, just listen, you know, yeah, you're gonna need a motorcycle helmet, tinfoil pyramid hat, uh, bendy straws, duct tape, uh, Q-tips, uh, knee pads, and uh, at this point, I mean, some type of uh, maybe a, like a cattle prod. Uh, these things all might help you. Uh, fuzzy bunny slippers, of course, and an adult beverage. Uh, all of these things may help you for today's edition of Fighting for the Faith. So let's just, you know, dive right into it. music to announce another installment of things going on with Harold Camping. You know, after October 21st, uh, 21st I'm going to miss being able to do this. Bye. 
enough of the destruction. Enough. I surrender. I surrender. Okay. <laughs> gotta admit, that's kind of fun. Yeah, I, I've got an entire, you know, here in the studio, uh, uh, we use a, a computer program called Soundboard, and Soundboard allows us to, like, preload particular, uh, you know, sounds. And so, um, you know, that we've got the sounds of battle and, you know, things like that. And i got to tell you, it's kind of fun to be able to play all that <clears throat> over Larry Norman's <laughs> Wish We'd All Been Ready. Anyway, all right, so the uh, the headline from the Christian Post article that was published... Um, Yesterday, it reads, Harold Camping, October 21st rapture, God stopped saving people in May, says Family Radio. Oh, man. <clears throat> this is written by Nicola Menzi. I mean, I mean, <laughs> really? Okay, so why, why, is, why is the Christian Post given any press to this guy? But since they are, we have to cover it but anyway the, the story reads family radio says if you weren't among those who were saved by may 21st the date of harold camping's rapture prediction well then it's too late yeah you weren't ready You're, you've been left behind already so um <sighs> unbelievable so when it's general ma- uh, when it's general manager uh, camping made a doomsday prediction back in May that that was a physical failure. Family Radio informed the world that God actually used the much-publicized event to warn the whole world that on May 21st, his salvation program would be finished on that day. According to Camping uh, and Family Radio, the whole world has been under God's judgment since May 21st. Well, I mean, in some ways, they're absolutely right. I mean, you know, for heaven's sakes, Miley Cyrus is still out there, you know, singing and doing rock concerts. So, I mean, I I don't doubt that we're definitely under God's judgment. But anyway, uh, <laughs> all right, so, uh, quote, God was only trying to shake up the world when he hid his actual plans from camping, Family Radio purports, in a document published on its website titled, What Happened? On May 21st. Yeah, let me just pull that document up since they have a link to it. Here I am at uh, familyradio.com forward slash x forward slash what happened dot html. I read, well, what happened this past May 21st? This is Family Radio's um, interpretation of the events. Well, what really happened is that God accomplished exactly what he wanted to happen. Hmm, Okay. That was to warn the whole world that on May 21st, God's salvation program would be finished on that day. For the next five months, except for the elect, uh, the true believers, the whole world is under God's final judgment. To accomplish this goal, God withheld from the true believers the way in which two phrases were to be understood. Uh, Had he not done so, the world would never have been shaken in fear as it was. Um... (laughs) Okay, all right, so one phrase is the completion of God's salvation program, the other is God's final judgment. The completion of God's salvation plan is concentrated in the word rapture. The phrase God's final judgment is concentrated in the word earthquake. Uh Uh-huh, so we've got, we've got some, you know, so we've got concentrated words, as I wonder if this is like concentrated orange juice. Anyways, the the two words, earthquake and rapture, mm-hmm, have been extremely important in our teaching of Judgment Day, May 21st. 
A critical understanding of these two, two words is the only change required to know why the unsaved are now living in a world that has been has not been horribly destroyed and the elect have not been caught up with God. We always look at the word earthquake to mean the earth or the ground is quaking or shaking violently. However, in the Bible, the word earth can also include people as well as the ground. Oh, man. <laughs> Therefore, we have learned from our experience of last May 21st what actually happened. All of mankind was shaken with fear. Indeed, the earth, or mankind, did quake in a way it had never been shaken before. God had some had come spiritually to bring judgment upon the whole world. The second word, rapture, identifies with the idea of the completion of God's salvation program. The catch-up of all the elect meant that there was to be no more salvation activity to be done anywhere in the world by God. Each and every true believer had become eternally safe with God in heaven. No more was there any aspect of God's salvation program that remained to be done. But the same thing became true this past May 21st, even though no one was raptured. No one who had not become saved by that date can ever become saved. And God tells us this in Revelation chapter 22, verses 10 through 12. Really? Okay. And he saith unto me, Seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. He that is unjust, let him be unjust still, and he that is filthy, let him be filthy still. And he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me to give every man according to his work shall be. Thus we have learned that except for a somewhat uh, different understanding of the words earthquake and rapture or catching up, no other past teachings of Judgment Day or the end of the world have been changed. The timeline and the certainty of the proofs and the signs are all precisely the same. No other past teachings have been changed or modified. Indeed, on May 21st, Christ did come spiritually to put all of the unsaved throughout the world into judgment, but that universal judgment will not be physically seen until the last day of the of the five-month judgment period, and that is on October 22nd, 2011. So here's the deal. Well, if you if you well, God's done saving, and if you weren't in the Herald camping boat. Uh, prior to May 21st, well, uh, you, you ain't got a snowball's chance. You're not going to make it. Uh, don't worry, though. Harold uh, Camping has promised that uh, God will exterminate you painlessly. You will be um, eradicated off the face of the earth and killed in a rather painless way. So just assume a uh, uh, on October 21st, please be sure to maintain a comfortable posture uh, you may want to, you know, prop your feet up, and you know, fuzzy bunny slippers would be a good way to go out. You know, just wear those; it'll enhance your last few minutes and hours on the earth as you quietly await your painless death at the hands of God as He saves those who've already been saved as of May 21st. You know, here's the deal: um, Harold Camping is um, is like one of the worst type of people on planet Earth. And I mean it, and I mean it like literally. I mean, there are people who, well, they've done terrible things to people physically here on Earth. Um, but Harold Camping is sending, you know, literally, you know, 
tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people to hell with his false teaching. And his Bible gymnastics that he does with the biblical text to justify uh, trying to save face from, you know, as a result of a, yet another failed prediction regarding the end of the world. Um, yeah, I, I think it's pretty clear that uh, what happened on May 21st is that God hardened uh, Harold Camping's heart and made it impossible for him to repent. Uh, so that, uh, you know, when May 20, uh, when October 21st rolls into October 22nd globally, um, it'll become clear to everybody, uh, yeah, the, the, uh, the one who's the false teacher is Harold Camping. And, uh, yeah, God have mercy on his soul. Anyway, um, <laughs> moving along. All right. I, I don't have music for this next segment, um, but I will be playing for you. Audio from a video put together by Leadership Network uh, from the author Will Mancini, uh, basically advertising his book entitled Church Unique. Okay, so it reminds me of that uh, those really cute jokes that I used to tell when I was a young lad. How do you catch a unique rabbit? Unique up on it. <laughs> Sorry, anyway. So, uh, yeah, as you listen to Will Mancini here, See if any of the phrases and words that he says make any sense. I'm convinced we're listening to some kind of Humpty Dumpty language here. Um, something that, well, doesn't make a, a bit of sense at all. It's much like the um, my favorite example sentence, Blue sleeps faster than Tuesday. Because everybody knows that's the case. Um, you know, if you didn't know the blue sleeps faster than Tuesday, I know that that's that's news to you. But um, yeah, it's absolutely true. But I don't know what anything of what it means. I, I, this entire video has a whole bunch of things like that. So this is the the, uh, the YouTube commercial for the book Church Unique. You can find it by going to YouTube.com and just type in Church Unique. And this is put together by uh, uh, one of Peter Drucker's uh, organizations or organizations that he had a profound influence on. And that would be Leadership Network. See if he can make heads or tails of any of this. Here we go. My name is Will Mancini, and I've written Church Unique, the subtitles How Missional Leaders Cast Vision, Capture Culture, and Create Movement. And really the, the genesis of the book came from a journey that I've been on with a team of uh, friends and, and colleagues helping churches really navigate their own vision clarity process. Yeah, are you having problems navigating your own vision clarity process? Well, don't worry, he's had an experience and uh, written a book called Church Unique that'll help you be missional. Uh-huh. We're really trying to help leaders think through on a different level what visionary leadership means today. Right. We've written a little bit about about uncaging this concept of the vision statement. Yeah, so you want to uncage the, the concept of the vision statement because, you know, the last thing you want is a caged concept regarding vision statements. I mean, that could really just put a crimp in your, in your scatzofrats. You, you know what I'm saying? And really living into vision. Uh, with a yeah, see, our, see that's yeah, the problem. See, if you, if, you don't get, if you don't uncage this vision thing correctly, then you won't be able to live into the vision because everybody knows that no church can possibly be best, blessed by Jesus unless, of course, it missionally lives into um, the vision. Yeah. Missional reorientation. 
Oh, yeah. Sorry, I forgot about the whole missional reorientation thing. Hang on. Let me see if I can hear that again. <laughs> into vision uh, with a missional reorientation. Okay, got to hear the sentence again because I, 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 it's, you know, uh, the lights are on. Nothing's registering, though. Hang on. Let me see. Okay, can you say that again, Will, please? So we've written a little bit about about uncaging this concept of the vision statement right. and really living into vision mm -hmm. uh, with a missional reorientation. Hmm. Yeah, see, that's what I was doing wrong. I was I didn't have a missional reorientation while I was li missionally living into the vision. <laughs> I was like, what does any of this even mean? I, I mean, I it, when Starbucks first came out, I mean, it was a challenge enough to be you know to order off their menu. Uh, you know. You had to learn a different language, but I mean, I, I, I think you have to learn doublespeak, which reminds me, by the way, uh, there's a guy out there, if, you, if you're on YouTube, uh, if you haven't seen his comedy bit, there's a gentleman out there who calls himself Mr. Double Talk. And the, this guy's, you know, appeared on, you know, uh, the Regis and, and, and uh, what, what, is it Kelly is her name now? And I, it used to be Regis and Kathy Lee, now it's Regis and Kelly. And he's appeared with Regis and Kelly, and he, he makes the rounds you know, every now and then on the talk shows uh, because he's really gifted at something called double talk. And uh, I, I found a, a video of him that uh, I think you know, at least will kind of make the point. And uh, Mr. Double Talk was actually hired by Bridgestone to uh, speak with the uh, professional golfers uh, that uh, are part of Team Bridgestone. And this would be like Freddie Couples and Lee Trevino and, and guys like that. And, uh, yeah, see if you can make heads or tails of Mr. Double Talk, and, uh, and then we'll switch it back to Will Mancini, and you'll you kind of get the point. But here we go. Well, let's start, which is a great place to do at the beginning. And Lee, uh, Lee Trevino, of course, you don't need an introduction. Let me just say this. I've, I think I speak for a lot. Well, I don't know, but I know some people who do. Has some of the you need what we have, and then I guess really adds that to a notion over the years. Has it? You look at the beauty and hang that you know what we have in that, and I would imagine. I mean, I'm not there to this, but I was the flow to that, that too, right? Because I mean, almost everybody says yes. <laughs> exactly. You know, <laughs> really don't have a choice. Good deal. That's well, that's perfect. I was thinking, Omen, then you know what we have in that too, and I mean, have you experienced days like that, Fred? Be honest. I, I, I have to. You have to. <laughs> I have no. You know what? I couldn't understand what you were asking. Yeah. I mean, see, that's Fred Couples. He's just completely discombobulated after listening to Mr. Double Talk. You, so you have, oh, yeah, I have, yeah, I have all kinds of days where I don't know what I'm doing. Yes. I wanted to find out from you if, well, then you know what we've seen, and I guess really with golf. Chuck, let me ask you then, you know, what we have in the nine guess really adds that to a notion. Have you heard that before? I know you've been out there for years, because I mean, and I guess really with some of the older golfers. But is that still true? Oh, well, sure, it's true. Absolutely. What would be, in your estimation, a notion, you know, what we have in the nine guess really adds that to today? I, 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 don't, I don't really know. Looking back, then, I guess really adds that to what we've seen so far. Has it? They've given me a lot of chances, and this is the last one. So, Nick, listen. I'll, I'll try and help you, but you got to make sense. Good deal. Fred, I can still call you Fred, right? Yes. Willard, what did that then I guess might be something that we see in your own words? Because obviously those were mine associated with golf. Ooh, help. <laughs> and I think about it, and I should have before I said it, but I don't know. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, messed up. Oh yeah, something just says yes. Yes. Good. Deal. All right. Absolutely. 
What would be in the union? What we have in the night guess really. Now, but let me finish, friend. Let me finish. I can do some good stuff, but I can't, I can't fight the big ones by myself. I am Derwood Fincher, Mr. Double Talking. I've been making no sense, but I mean, are we, are we together on that? I'm sweating right now. Yeah, so there you go. That's uh, Mr. Double Talk making no sense. Now, he, here's the funny thing is, is that you know, after hearing this Mr. Double Talk guy, I'm fairly convinced that Mr. Double Talk there in that video with him talking with these guys, you know, who are professional golfers for Team Bridgestone, um, you know, Freddie Couples and others, um, and Lee Trevino and others, um, is uh, is that I think he was making Mr. Double Talk's making far more sense than Will Mancini here. Yeah. Okay. So with that fresh in our mind, let's let's listen again to Will Mancini. We are really trying to help leaders think through on a different level what visionary leadership means today. So we've written a little bit about about uncaging this concept of the vision statement and really living into vision uh, with a missional reorientation. Right. Yeah. Uh huh. Church Unique provides what we call a vision pathway that has three components. The first component is really discovering your kingdom concept. So in order to do the vision pathway, you need to discover your kingdom concept, right? Uh Which answers the question, what can your church do better than 10,000 others? Or how does your church uniquely glorify God and make disciples? The second step is really about developing your vision frame. Right. Yeah. I had no idea that I needed my, my vision frame needed developing. I'm yeah, how much does it cost to have your vision frame developed? And we're presenting a robust model to help you fully articulate your vision. Yeah, so if, if you're having a hard time, you know, um, or fully articulating your vision that you're living into missionally um, because of an underdeveloped vision frame uh, while on the path, uh, well, don't worry that they'll help you articulate that. The frame. The third part is really about delivering vision daily. <laughs> right, exactly, because, you know, if... What's the point of, you know, living into a missional vision, you know, on the path while uh, framing it and all that kind of stuff if you don't deliver it daily, right? So what? You have this great articulated vision. Yeah. What does it really mean each day in, in the life of the team, uh-huh. in the life of your, your, your leadership community at the local church? Right. Right. What do we any of your words and sentences even mean? And we unpack what that looks like in the third movement of the book. Okay, so you've got a, you have a third movement where you unpack the frame on the path to the living into the missional thing, right? As we worked on Church Unique, we developed a companion tool that goes along with it. We call it the vision deck. Uh, a what? <laughs> okay, so now I need a vision deck to help me on the path while I'm uh, developing the frame thing and on the path to the right. We created a simple... <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> These look like tarot cards. I, I kid you not. Go to visiondeck.com or find this YouTube video. <laughs> oh, they have tarot cards to help you find your vision. Yeah, it's called the Vision Deck. Deck of 52 collaborative exercises to inspire visionary teams. Right. The model that we present in the book connects to the Vision Deck, and they're just very simple exercises that... Uh, There's nothing simple about anything you've said. I think leaders are really going to have a fun time implementing If you want to move vision from static statement to team sport lifestyle. Okay, so uh, so on the path you need to de- develop the frame so that you can get the vision deck and then move it from static to team something. 
Right. Uh, it's, mm-hmm. What you just said. Word, man. Okay. To leadership movement. It's, okay, so then you're supposed to move. Yeah, okay. To something that touches the heart. Right. So when it's all done, my heart will be touched by the movement of the vision deck collaborative thing that I framed in the in the pushing into the movement thing. Right. And stays in the in the in the mind and soul of of the people of God. Mm. Then then Church Unique will provide I think some new perspectives on this thing we call vision. Well, there you go. So if you need some new perspectives on this thing called vision, they've got a path that you can follow that will help you develop your frame using a vision deck that will collaboratively work it from being static to a team sport. So, um, you know, just make sure that uh, uh, you get a good translator if you're going to try to crack open the book Church Unique by Will Mancini with a forward by Max Lucado, of course. Hey, I just, you know, as I was looking at the uh, the people who... Um, <laughs> Who are endorsing the book Church Unique? I mean, my question is, did they try to read it? I mean, I mean, I'd like Max Lucano to actually, you know, give me an outline of what that book actually said because based on the commercial for it, I'm not sure it says anything. So there. But um, if you like, <laughs> well, there you have it. So Church Unique, yeah, that's unique, all right. And I don't know what any of it means, but there you go. So um, if you'd like to email me regarding anything. Uh, that you've uh, heard this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. You can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. Uh, we'll be right back. Because all the letters of the Bible are red letters, you're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Welcome to Build-A-God. How can I help you? Hi, I bought this Build-A-God certificate from a fellow co-worker, and I came to check it out. Oh, that's nice of your friend. You must be excited. Well, uh, what exactly are we doing here? Oh, you silly man. We're building your very own deity. I don't feel comfortable doing this. Seems sort of like blasphemy. Oh, don't be silly. Everyone does this. Let me help you. First off, you decide whether your god is male, female, or unisex. Well, the Bible talks about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And it also says that Jesus was circumcised on the eighth day, so he has to be male. You? Okay. Next, we have to define the attributes of your god, like whether he's loving, kind, or compassionate. 
Well, in the Bible, God is just, he's merciful, he's righteous, and he's wrathful, all at the same time. Okay, then. Well, what is your God's take on sin? He fully condemns it. It's pretty obvious what God thinks of sin. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Humanity's only hope is in the blood Jesus shed on the cross. Are you saying your God doesn't accept gays? Don't think so. God destroyed Solomon Gomorrah with hellfire and brimstone because of it. I don't think he has a very high opinion of it. C could you excuse me for one moment? Sure. Hello? Can you get me the mall security? Thank you. Sir, I would be a religious terrorist here. Yes! He's a closed-minded Bible believer. Yes, I'll distract him while I wait for your men to arrive. Thank you. your money in your pocket. Hi, Chris Rosebro here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheap O Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheap O Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheapo Air's already low prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, and then click on the banner, and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. All right, we're back. Warning, today's edition of Fighting for the Faith is a total train wreck. Just be warned. If you're along for the ride, you will need safety gear. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world. You can partner with us financially by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you scroll down, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons right in the middle of the page. Uh, one says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. And of course, if you would like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you can do so by clicking on the donate button or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send that to Post Office Box 508 Fishers, Indiana, Zip code 46038. And again, let me thank you all, uh, for those of you who are supporting us, for the uh, for the gen your generosity and your gifts. We truly cannot do what we do without your help. Okay, m moving along here. Mm -hmm. All right, from the Chally's uh, blog, the uh, headline reads, Worst Gift Ever. Yeah, and cha this is not hyperbole. <laughs> oh, man. I, <laughs> oh, man. 
just sometimes you just you need therapy after doing a week's worth of work here at Fighting for the Faith. The uh, <laughs> Chelly's writes, he says, all right, yesterday I shared a strange quote from John Eldridge's new book, Beautiful Outlaw. Today I'm sharing another one. I almost feel guilty doing so since to share a quote like this is pretty much to mock the book. But as I said yesterday, Eldridge really has put himself beyond parody. Here's another example. <laughs> quote, <clears throat> this is John Eldridge speaking. I was going to call this book Jesus of a Thousand Hearts because of the way he continually breaks into my life. He speaks to me through hearts. I'll find stones in the shape of hearts in rivers where I'm fishing. I I've seen them almost step by step up a mountainside when on a grueling climb. Praying in the morning, I'll look out the window and passing by will be a heart-shaped cloud. Dinner rolls, seashells, stains on my jeans. I, I've won the lottery when it comes to hearts from Jesus. But I'm ashamed to admit the last summer I grew a little impatient with them. I was going through a trying time and seeking God for the answer to my questions when he would simply give me a heart in reply. I would be walking down the sidewalk and, and there in the cement see a heart-shaped hole made by a bubble when they poured the sidewalk. I actually grew a little dismissive of them. I didn't want hearts. I wanted answers. So Jesus stopped giving me these treasures of our friendship. Last fall, while walking through an alpine meadow, bow hunting, I was asking him, how come you don't give me hearts anymore? I asked him it in a pouty kind of way. At that moment, something gray caught my eye. I looked down, mid-stride, and there in the grass, about as big as a dinner plate, was a dried piece of cow manure in the shape of a heart. <laughs> hey, I'm sorry. <laughs> Hang on, let me reread that sentence. I, I looked down in mid-stride, and there in the grass, about as big as a dinner plate, was a dried piece of cow manure in the perfect shape of a heart. If I didn't know Jesus adores me, I, I didn't. if I didn't know he's playful, and if our relationship didn't allow me to receive a playful tease, I might have misrepresented the icon, but I loved it. It was both, oh, so now you, are, you want a heart, and I still adore you. A cow pie heart. That is so Jesus. Wish I'd taken a photo of it. We could have put it on the cover of this book. <laughs> <laughs> Folks, I just want to let you all know that it's things like this that are an argument in favor of Sola Scriptura. Yeah, that's all I can say. Um, I am so thankful that, <laughs> that I've been taught and believe that God's word is sufficient and that I don't need Jesus giving me cow pies in in the shape of a heart to know that he loves me and said I can look in the scriptures and know that's the case. <laughs> okay, <clears throat> going along with the theme for today of train wreck, atheists form support group for non-believing pastors. This is written by Audrey Barrick of the Christian Post. Atheists form a support group for non-believing pastors. Atheists recently went public with a new website aimed at creating a community for clergy who have lost their faith. 
the clergy project has grown to nearly 100 members since the launch of a private invitation-only website. The Richard Dawkins Foundation for Science and Reason and Freedom from Religion Foundation have now made the project public in hopes of drawing more pastors, priests, rabbis, and other religious leaders who have chosen to move beyond faith. You know, you know what strikes me about this story here? <clears throat> there, there's something to this. This may actually be one of those silver lining kind of uh, events or, or stories. Uh, let me read a little bit more and I'll explain. Uh, quote, we know there must be thousands of clergy out there who have secretly abandoned their faith but have nowhere to turn. Dan Barker, a former evangelical preacher who now serves as co-president of the Freedom From Religion Foundation, said in a statement on Friday, quote, now they do have a place to meet, a true sanctuary, a congregation of those of us who've replaced faith and dogma with reason and human well-being. Hmm. So the clergy project is the brainchild of outspoken atheist Richard Dawkins, philosopher Daniel Dennett, researcher Lisa La Scala and Barker. Uh, Dennett and La Scala conducted a study interviewing a handful of pastors in, in 2008 and 2009 who no longer believed what their parishioners thought they believed. The preachers who are not believers report was released in 2010 and helped provide the impetus to the project. Dawkins and Barker believe clergy need help in exiting the ministry, saying it is near to impossible to leave. Quote, if a farmer tires of the outdoor life and wants to become an accountant or a teacher or a shopkeeper, he faces difficulties. To be sure, he must learn new skills, raise money, move to another area perhaps. But he doesn't risk losing all of his friends, being cast out by his family, being ostracized by his whole community. Dawkins writes on the website, clergy who lose their faith suffer double jeopardy. It's as though they lose their job and their marriage and their children all on the same day. So the clergy project is designed to provide a safe haven and forum for clergy who have lost their faith. The website administrators are still active pastors in the United States who are looking for an exit strategy, said the Freedom From Religion Foundation. Okay, so, well, okay. So, I, you know, I, hmm, there's some merit to this thing here. You know, uh, you, you might want to partner with the Freedom From Religion Foundation and, uh, and you know maybe you know print some flyers up and send them to the pastors in you know in your neck of the woods uh because this might be, just give them that nudge so that you can get rid of the non-believing pastors in the churches in your area and of course you know give them a gracious exiting you know don't um you know and uh, and oh, oh, you know leave the light on for them kind of thing you let them know that um that Jesus loves them and that uh, and that he's now calling them to repent of their unbelief and to be forgiven for that. But um, and you know don't do it in a way that is you know blistering, but you know in a way that basically tells them that you still love and care for them. But give them a gracious way out so that you can replace those pastors with pastors who actually believe. I think this is a great service that the atheists are doing to the uh, well doing for the. Uh, the Christian church. This would be a great way to, you know, kind of sweep out, uh, you know, a, a bunch of these non-believing pastors. I mean, uh, I think one of the reasons why we get so many bad sermons uh, that we do here at Fighting for the Faith may be because there's a lot of these pastors who actually don't believe what the Christian faith teaches and confesses. And 
Maybe what we need to do is uh, hook them up with uh, the Freedom From Religion Foundation and the Richard Dawkins types. And, you know, they could sit there and claim all they want that they, these are all victories for the atheists by getting rid of the non-believing pastors and, you know, plucking them out of the pulpit. But, you know, I think this would be a great way to clean off, you know, what the, the dead weight in the church and, uh, and you know, graft in some some pastors who've got a real fire for uh, preaching and, and teaching sound biblical theology and proclaiming Christ and him crucified for our sins and actually believe it. This, you know, there's some merit to this thing here. You know, I, I started off thinking this was ridiculous, but now that I'm thinking about it, it's like you might, we might want to partner with these folks. So um, <clears throat> anyway, so that's, um, that's where I that, just wanted to pass that along to you. And uh, now for our uh, last segment for the first hour. She loves the monkeys, uncle. Yeah, yeah. She loves the monkeys, uncle. Oh. She loves the monkeys, uncle. And the monkeys, uncle, they for me. Mm-hmm. I don't care what the whole world thinks. She loves the monkeys, uncle. Call us a couple of missing links. She loves the monkeys, uncle. Rub all his monkeys. The monkey's uncle and the monkey's uncle Save for, for me. me. Save for me. There we go. Yeah, that's right. We're going to be doing a Biologos update. And uh, by way of the update, what we're going to be doing is playing the balance of this, uh, you know, segment that um, that has been made available by Ken Ham at the Answers in Genesis website. Going after the Biologos folks, basically saying, listen, these are people who are professors in Christian universities. They're putting together curriculum for uh, Christian homeschoolers and things like that. This, yeah, there's something seriously wrong here. And uh, and again, I continue to make the claim as somebody who's not an expert on the topic, but somebody who's really over the entire my entire apologetics career. Uh, you, know, you can say I've minored in the uh, in the evolutionary thing, and there is just like the the evidence for evolution is so flimsy, and it's like non-existent. So I don't see any reason why we should trade in the truth of the scripture for the fiction and mythology of, uh, of evolution. But uh, here's Ken Ham uh, continuing his discussion. He was talking about Peter Enns when we left off, and he, he, he's continuing with that. Here, here's Ken Ham. Okay, I want you to hear him for yourself. As I said, I have a few little extra video clips here. Uh, because Adam doesn't just make his appearance in the Old Testament, he makes his appearance in the New Testament as well. In Paul's letters, specifically in two places, in Romans chapter 5, verses 12 to 21, which we'll look at a little bit, flying over at 30,000 feet, remember. Um, And the other places, uh, a few verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, around uh, verses 21 and 22, and then starting around verse 44, if I recall. Um, That is the source of tension right here. Okay. It's not so much that Genesis talks about an atom, it's the fact that Paul talks about an atom. Oh, Paul, why did you do that? <laughs> now you caused a problem. Let's go on. That's, that's the heart of the tension for Christians. If Adam just stayed in the Old Testament where he belonged, we wouldn't have this problem. Adam should have stayed in the Old Testament he belonged we wouldn't have this problem but Paul draws him out 
and he uses him for a specific purpose. And for Paul, Adam is the first human being. For Paul. I want to focus for a couple of slides on Genesis chapter 2, the Adam story in Genesis specifically, because I think looking at this story from a different angle actually helps ease the tensions a bit between evolution and, um, and the biblical story of Adam. Do you see what they're doing? It eases the tension. See, because of evolution, we've got this tension. So what have we got to do? We've got, we've got to change what the Bible's saying. Oh, this, is, this permeates our colleges, folks. And it's this way. The question is whether Adam in Genesis is presented as the first man or whether he's presented as something else. Specifically, whether he's presented as Israel in quotation marks. By the way, I know we, we laugh. You know why we laugh? Because we realize how ridiculous that is. But people, I want you to realize how sad this is. This is permeating our Christian college. And he was allowed to speak at a homeschool conference, but they didn't want me there teaching about a literal Genesis. It's even permeating our homeschool movement. Oh, wait till you hear this one. What is the book of Romans about? See, Adam sort of pops up in chapter 5. What is the book of Romans about? Um, let me put it this way. It's probably not so much a book about how to get saved. Which I know, that may sound awfully strange to some of you. And I, I can understand why. Um, it was strange to me when I first started thinking this way as well. It's not so much, you know, the Romans road, you know, and here's the verses you use to get people to become Christians or something. It's probably not what's happening. What's probably more central for Paul is how Jews and Gentiles can coexist as one people. I often wondered what Romans was all about. <laughs> See, when Paul talks about Adam, he's talking more about Jesus than anything. He's using Adam to get the Jesus stuff across to you and what he did. See, I can personally, I mean, we're all in different places. I'm just giving, I'm going to fly open a plane in a couple days. I'm just giving you my opinion. Who knows if it'll change in the years to come. And I'm still thinking about it. But... All the Jesus stuff and all the sin and death stuff are, are still real. Personally, I don't need a historical Adam to make all that happen. If an Israel-centered reading of Genesis 2 and following, if that's viable, you've got to admit it really lessens the tensions with evolution, doesn't it? Greg Boyd, you might have heard of him, senior pastor of Woodlands Hills Church in St. Paul in uh, Minnesota. He has a PhD from Princeton Theological Seminary and he's former professor at Bethel University, a Christian university, for 16 years. And so I was taught that if Adam and Eve weren't literal and if Genesis 1 wasn't literal, then the whole Bible's a book of lies. Um, it took one semester of college for my faith to be destroyed, going into it with that kind of mindset. One semester of college, what he was taught in college. In other words, I, I would say he obviously wasn't taught how to defend his faith in Genesis, and what he's taught in college was obviously evolution of millions of years. In fact, you can understand that from this next quote. And more often than not, it's, it's the young earth creationists who are very passionate that we hold to a literal interpretation of Genesis 1, and if you let go of that, well, then the Bible's the book of lies, or the Christian faith comes crumbling down, or people are going to turn into uh, atheists or, or whatever. Uh, they, they really you know, are, are convinced of that. 
And the trouble with that is that whenever the church has leveraged, to hold that view is to, among other things, you have to declare war on the vast majority of the scientists uh, uh, who, who deal with paleontology and geology. And By the way, he's talking about secular scientists. And remember the heart of that men love darkness rather than light. I'm not surprised the majority don't agree with God's word because that's what agrees with the Bible, that the majority won't. The Bible says that. And when he talks about paleontology or geology, he's not talking about identifying sedimentary igneous metamorphic rocks. He's talking about historical science of the millions of years. And all the other sciences that are predicated on evolutionary theory. And if that really is the center of the faith, then we have to do that. But if it's not, all other things being equal, it makes more sense to, make, to, to allow that to have some variety of interpretation so we don't require a person to reject 90% of the scientists who are out there in order to become a Christian. Actually, we don't reject 90% of the scientists to become a Christian. It's faith in Christ that saves you. But 90% of the scientists believe in evolution of millions of years. Actually, I'm suspicious when the majority believe something knowing that the heart of man is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. But again, they want to conform to what the world's saying. They don't want to go far from Egypt, you see. Daniel, I don't know how to pronounce it, Harrell, senior pastor of Colonial Church in Edina, Minnesota. He's the author of Witness, How Evolution Can Inspire Faith. You could also say that, that God specially selects Adam and Eve for this covenant relationship, much as he did with Abraham, say, uh, in the biblical epic. And so that Adam and Eve become representative of the kind of relationship then that God intends to have with they're representative. They're not real people, you see. Have with, with all people. And, and, and that is a, a point of, of possible convergence that allows those who are very worried about an historical Adam and Eve to, to breathe easier. And those who are very concerned about integrity with DNA findings and evolutionary science to also breathe in easier. Evolutionary science, there it is again. That's what it's all about. Man's historical, man's historical knowledge, man's historical science, man's beliefs, common name to the Bible. John Walton from Wheaton College, he believes Genesis 1 is not a material account of origins, it's an account of God's cosmic temple. In my book, I've tried to show that the, uh, the account in Genesis 1 is not intended to be an account of material origins. If that's so, the Bible has no narrative of material origins. And if that's so, then we don't have to defend the Bible's narrative of material origins against a, a scientific narrative because the Bible doesn't offer one. In that case, we can say, well, if the Bible doesn't offer us a narrative, we can look to science for the narrative. So Genesis doesn't tell us about where we came from. You look to science, which means, he means man's historical science. He means evolution in millions of years. He's professor of Old Testament at Wheaton College. He was formerly a professor for 20 years at Moody Bible Institute. No material account of origins in Genesis. What about Joel Hunter? Joel Hunter, senior pastor of Northland in Longwood, Florida, 15,000 member multi-campus church. I would say the vast majority of our people sitting in those pews who are very uncomfortable with, look, it was six 24-hour day, uh, days, and if you think anything else, then you don't believe in scripture. These are science teachers. These are scientists. These are 
bright businessmen and businesswomen and, and, and people who have been thinking, and, and they just say, wait a minute, you know, God is God. God could choose any way he wants to create the world, and it doesn't make it any less marvelous. As a matter of fact, it makes it more marvelous because he would be so intricate in its creation. More marvelous to believe in evolution because God's so intricate. God can choose any way he wants. Actually, it's not a matter of God can choose any way he wants. It's a matter of what did God tell us he did. That's what it's a matter of. And here's another professor, distinguished professor and chair of biology at uh, Westmont College, the same college. So evolution in terms of just genetic change over time, uh, that's not even an idea. That's just a brute observation. We see it. Uh, evolution in the sense of whether that genetic change over time has resulted in the diversity of species we see now, which is the proposition of common descent, that is an idea, that's an interpretation. But the evidence uh, for the truth of that interpretation is overwhelming. Evolution is fact, in other words, man's belief about the past. Look where England and Scotland, look where the United Kingdom is today, spiritually dead. That's where America's heading. You know why? For the same reasons. Watch what some of the academics over there are saying. Here's Professor N.T. Wright, Professor of New Testament and Early Christianity, University of St. Andrews in Scotland. Um, because I do think it matters that something like a primal pair getting it wrong did happen. But that doesn't mean I'm saying that therefore Genesis is kind of positivist, literal, clunky history over against myth. Um, far from it. I think, for instance, that the six days of Genesis, I'm with John Walton from Wheaton College on this, I think the six days of Genesis would be interpreted in terms of this is how you describe how people make a temple or a tabernacle. Well, sure looks like a description of how to make a tabernacle to me. Yeah, if you want to see the rest of this video, uh, visit AnswersInGenesis.org. Um, wow, it's... I mean, so there you go. That's kind of the uh, the anti-biblical teachings of the Biologos folks uh, who are at this point basically trying to make peace uh, with, uh, with the evolutionary crowd by, well, sacrificing biblical truth uh, on the altar of evolution. And again, evolution, when you do the research, the thing comes crashing down over and over and over again the icons of evolution have panned out to be false there is no evidence of species change over time none what's like none it, that doesn't exist in the fossil records instead over and again you see the you know you know what's called the cambrian explosion you know uh, all of a sudden animals show up fully formed Species fully formed, plant life fully formed, boom, there it is. Wonder how that came about. Yeah, no, there. I, I, we need to be battling evolution using science, not basically saying, "Oh, we're sorry, we don't want to look like a cult, so we're just gonna hand over a." Uh, what the Bible says, and we're going to let you guys be in the driver's seat with how we got here, you evolutionary theorists. You know. Yeah, maybe the uh, Holy Spirit that Melissa Fisher believes in would do that, but God the Holy Spirit has inspired his word to be written, into, and he's revealed how we came about. God spoke us into existence. Six days, that's how it happened. All right, we are up on our second break. By the way, that's what Jesus believed. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he rose again from the dead. I'm just I'm going with his his beliefs. So, all right, we're up on our second break. When we come back, continue with our train wreck today. A train wreck of a sermon that is wrong like 50 ways from Saturday. But, uh, you know, if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so at my email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. You can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. We'll be right back. asked Peter, who do you say that I am? Jesus wasn't looking for affirmation. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Keep more of your money in your pocket. Hi, Chris Roseborough here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheap O Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheap O Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheap O Air's already low prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, and then click on the banner, and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. All right, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith Sermon Review Time. Now, normally I review entire sermons. I, I want to warn you ahead of time that I will not be reviewing the entire sermon on this sermon. The reason why it is an hour long and there's so many things wrong with it, it would take me three hours to review it. So if you want to hear the rest of the sermon... You can go to the church's website to hear the rest of it, but let's uh, do what we normally do here. The good, the bad, the ugly, we review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We are an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via Christian Life Center, Rolla, Missouri. Eddie Jones presiding. The name of the sermon is Transforming Church. Um, May I warn you ahead of time, pack your bags, get ready. We are going on a guilt trip. Now here's the deal. If you've spent any time in American evangelicalism, you've already heard this sermon. This sermon goes by all kinds of titles and floats in and out of all kinds of churches. And what's missing here is a connected understanding of how the gospel plays into the Christian life at like at all. You're going to hear him like give props to the gospel. He'll mention the gospel. He'll even talk about the gospel in passing. 
But it's like he doesn't plug it into the theology he's preaching because if he were to do that, his theology would, well, evaporate and disappear. This is an all-law, no-gospel sermon, even though you hear gospel little nuggets going, zoom, zoom, zoom. But, uh, yeah, the gospel doesn't even make any sense. So without any further ado, here is, um, let me kill the music there. Here is Eddie Jones, the name of the uh, sermon, Transforming Church. Here we go. Are you glad today that our past does not determine our future? Right? I am so glad of that today. We learn from our mistakes and our past does not determine what our future is. Today as we, we launch into this new series, Transforming Church, I, I want you to begin to think about what does that mean to you? I mean, when you think about Transforming Church, what do you think about? Do you look at a, do you look at a, a, a building and think, wow, that's a, that's a Transforming Church? Do you, look at, do you look at the things that are around? Do you look at the color of paint on walls? Do you, do you look at a building? Do you, do you look at a cool kids ministry? Do you say, wow... That's a transforming church. You can, you can like get a cup of coffee there and, and worship at the same time. Do you, do you really think that that's a transforming church? You see, that's not what I'm talking about today. I'm not talking about a building. I'm not talking about some lights. I'm not talking about whether or not you can get a cup of coffee. What I'm talking about is a transforming church as you and I because we are the church. You and I are the church. Everybody say this with me. I am the church. We are the church of Jesus Christ, and, and we've got to, first of all, define and understand what a transforming church is. And a transforming church is radical followers of Jesus Christ. That's what a transforming church is. And, and we, we have this little saying sometimes we talk about it, it says, we will change the way you think about church. So I want to talk to you today just simply about this series of transforming church and the look that we have of who we are. You see, it's not a building, it's not a design, it's not a worship style, it's not a location, it's not a denomination, it's not a set of, of biblical doctrinal statements, it's not rules, it's not regulations, but a transforming church is defined as radical Christ followers. But the real question this morning is this, are you a radical Christ follower or are you an admirer of Jesus Christ? Because you Okay, I'm going to pause there. Notice the setup here. Are you a radical Christ follower or are you a follower of Jesus Christ? So the um the at this point we've got the setup. Okay? You you've got the setup. You 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 know, well, if you're just an admirer, what does that mean? Well, usually when you hear sermons like this and this is what you're going to hear, you're going to hear uh, that uh, radical, true radical Christ followers, as opposed to those who are just, you know, just the people who follow Jesus, uh, those are the ones who obey. Mm-hmm. And l when you hear this kind of sermon, this is all law. This is the uh, the gospel doesn't make sense in this man's theology. Not one bit of sense, even though he keeps making references to it. My question for Eddie Jones would be, what was Jesus doing hanging on the cross? Now, I'm going to plug in at this point a uh, a blog post put out by uh, Gene Veith on his website, geneveith.com. The name of his blog is Cronach, the blog of Veith. And uh, back in on September 22nd, he uh, he put a blog post up that I think helps frame the right way of discerning this sermon. 
And the name of the blog post is Preaching Assurance Versus Preaching Doubt. Listen to this. Uh, Veith writes, he says, I've noticed that there are two kinds of preachers, especially when addressing young people. One kind tries to assure the listeners of their salvation in Christ, underscoring his grace and his mercy and his atoning work on the cross. The other kind tries to make the listener question whether they really are Christians. Did you really give your life to the Lord? Do you show the fruit of true faith? Does your life show evidence of true conversion? Maybe you need to commit your life to him again just to be sure. Granted, the problem of nominal Christianity uh, and granted the need to make people realize how sinful they are so as to help them grasp their need of the gospel— But I would argue that the latter approach can do great harm. The one that does makes a Christian... The one thing that does make a Christian is faith in Christ. Doubt is the opposite of faith. To make a person doubt his or her salvation is, ironically, to destroy faith rather than to build it up. Furthermore, these uh, are-you-really-a-Christian messages have the effect of making the hearers look within at their good works or their feelings or their piety or whatever. Surely, whenever we look honestly at ourselves, we will find nothing to commend ourselves before God. Rather, what needs to happen is to encourage troubled or doubting souls to look outside of themselves, look to the cross of Jesus Christ and the promise of God's word, to objective facts about God's disposition towards them. Did God cause you to be baptized? Have you taken the Lord's Supper? Have you heard the words given for you? Have you heard the words of absolution? Your sins are forgiven. I wonder if the attempts to scare young people into greater piety may be having the opposite effect. Now, I, the reason I read this is because I think that's what's going wrong in this sermon. Here, uh, Eddie Jones is not preaching faith in Christ. He's not placarding what Jesus has done for us. He's not pra- placarding the grace of mercy, sinless life, and vicarious penal substitutionary death of Jesus Christ on the cross for you and for me and for our sins. Instead, he's basically saying, look inside yourself. Are you really a radical Christian or not? Well, are you just some kind of lazy, good-for-nothing, mediocre follower or fan of Jesus as opposed to a radically committed Christ uh, Christian, you know, well, see, what that does is is that at that point, it's not preaching faith. It's actually preaching doubt. This is the same. It's actually strongly related to the same kind of doubt that you hear from liberals and from the emergent church. This isn't preaching faith and trust in Christ. This is basically preaching doubt as to whether or not you're a Christian. And the solution is not to point you to Jesus Christ, but to point you to your good works. Are you doing enough of them? Are you obeying enough? Well, if not, then you're probably not a Christian, at least how these sermons go. And this is the typical example of this kind of preaching. And it's really, really bad. And it's very damaging towards faith. And it creates doubt. And despair rather than hope and trust in Christ. Listen. You see, there is a total difference in admirers of Jesus and in followers of Jesus. 
So I want us to take a look at that and, and understand really what the difference is. Are you an admirer or are you a follower of Christ? First of all, an admirer is one, someone who respects someone and, and someone who, who looks at somebody with approval. You admire them. You admire them. Uh, Jesus fed 5,000 people one time. Well, more than one time, but he, he fed this 5,000 at one time. And when he fed them, they admired him for feeding them. They listened to what he said. They respected him. They admired him. But they didn't really follow him. There were some more people that admired Jesus when he rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. They admired him. They said, look, there's Jesus. And they waved palm branches they laid them down in front of him as he come through the city. They admired Jesus. There were some more people that admired Jesus. The, the Pharisees, they admired Jesus. Don't get me wrong, the Pharisees did really admire Jesus. They admired him that he was a, a good prophet. They admired him that he healed people. But when he proclaimed that he could forgive people's sins, that was all they done, admired him. They didn't really follow him. They didn't believe in him. Okay, notice he mentioned something about forgiving sins. Y yeah, that's what we need. We need the forgiveness of sins. And notice the other thing. He's not really preaching God's word. Like at all. You see, there are people that admire Jesus and all the people I, I just spoke to you about. Let me ask you this question. They admired him, but did they follow him? Where were these people at when Jesus stood before Pilate? Where were these people at when, when they were crying, Give us Barabbas and crucify Jesus. They were just admirers of him. There was just a few people in the crowd that stood up for Jesus Christ that day. But yet he fed 5,000 multiple times. There was just a few people that really had a commitment. So let me just ask you this question. Who do you admire? Who do you admire in your life? I admire my parents, Ronald and Connie Jones. I admire them. I admire them for what they taught me. I admire them for their heart, for people who are far from God and how they instill that into me. I admire them for the dedication that they have to serving God. But I don't follow them. Who do you admire? Then let's ask the question, who do we follow? What does it mean to follow someone? I mean, I, I truly follow Jesus because he loves me without condition. I'm a follower of Jesus because he forgives me. Anytime I'm truly repentant of my sins, he forgives me of that. He forgives me of my failures and he's prepared heaven. John the 14th chapter said that he's prepared heaven for those that will believe, for those that will follow him. Okay, now don't get too excited about the fact that you're hearing something about forgiveness and that he forgives me. Because believe me when I tell you, what he's offering here with his right hand he is going to literally slap that out of your hand with the left. Okay, so here he talks about forgiveness. He talks about Jesus forgiving his mistakes and whatever that means. Um, but, okay, so I'm going to give him, I'll give him this, you know. There's your gospel nugget. But whatever you do, don't try to put that one in the bank because he's not going to let you spend it. He's going to actually take away the gospel here. The forgiveness of sins is going to be taken away, which is what we all need. And you're going to basically be told to get cracking and become a radical whatever of Jesus. But ask yourself today, am I an admirer of Jesus 
or am I a true follower of him? You see, he died on the cross for me, and he is who I follow. The difference between an admirer and a follower is devotion. You can admire somebody, and you can... Uh, Eddie, again, I come back to the question. What does it mean he died for me? Because what you're going to say later in this sermon isn't going to make a hoot of sense. You can admire people for what they've done, but where is your devotion? Do you have a devotion to God? Do you have a devotion to Jesus Christ? You see, a Christ follower is one that devotes themselves, devotes themselves to following Jesus with all of their heart. They adore Him as Savior and their, their life is built on spiritual disciplines. A follower of Jesus Christ is one of those that understands that it's a responsibility to have spiritual disciplines. A follower of Jesus Christ is one of those that follows Matthew, the sixth chapter, when it says, when you give, because they give. When you pray, because they do pray. And when you fast, because they truly do fast. So you got to build your life on spiritual disciplines. This is on your obedience, your piety, your whatever, not on faith and trust in what Christ has done for you. And pray and seek God's favor in their life. That's what a true follower of Jesus Christ is. Let me just ask you the question, are, are you reading your Bible with passion? Do you want to read it? I will admit today that it's not going to be the most popular message. And for some of us, it's going to hit home. For some of us, it's going to hit us in the gut. And, and we're going to have this gut feeling by the time the day is over, by the time the message is over. But I want you to understand really what a transforming church is. A transforming church is a radical Christ follower. Ask yourself that question. A transforming church is not a building, a location. It's not a design. It's not a set of biblical or doctrinal standards. It's not if you're a part of a group. It's not if you're a member. But a transforming church is you. Because I am the church. The Bible teaches us that we are the church of Jesus Christ. I mean, are you truly passionate about God's Word? Ask yourself this question. How many times have you heard me say, write that down, type that in your phone, tattoo it on your arm. I don't care how you get it. Just get it. And are we truly passionate about that? Not because I said write it down. Not because I said, well, you need to be taking notes today. But because are we truly passionate about God's Word? Do we want this to become who we are? Do we want to eat God's Word? Do we want it to become what we live every day? Or are we just okay with sitting on the seat once a month, twice a month, when we get time, when we're not busy? Now, I'm going to point something out here. The, the, there's an irony into in this little argument that he's putting. You know, do you have a hunger and a thirst? Do you want to eat and feast on God's Word? Um, and notice he's not really preaching God's Word. Just a bunch of verses or allusions to references in the Bible without actually preaching God's word. It is what makes up this sermon. This is not actually a biblical sermon. Weird, huh? Maybe we're okay with just sitting in the church one time a week. We go every week. Man, we're faithful. We're there every single week. But are we wanting more of God? Do we desire him? Why don't you read more of the Bible? Maybe they might desire more of him. Are we his hands and feet and extended to the world? Do we reach out to the world? You see, a Christ follower is truly a transforming church. That's what a transforming church is today. It is being a Christ follower. It's not lazy Christianity. It's not showing up on Sunday. You know, anybody can be show up on Sunday, Sam. Anybody can be that person. I mean, there's lots of people who are show up on Sunday, Sam. 
But do you have an experience with God that has totally transformed your thinking, has transformed your mind, and you hunger more of God? You see, that's truly what a transforming church is. Yeah, I want to point something out. that The scriptures make it clear that our minds are transformed and renewed by the Word of God, not by a scolding like what we're hearing here, but by God's Word. If that's what God's Word teaches, then why aren't you really opening up the scriptures and say, let's open up to the book of, you know, well, say Ephesians, and we're going to begin at chapter 1, verse 1, and we're going to start reading and studying and digging into this, knowing that God's Word says that our minds are the objects of the transforming, sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, and that comes via the means of God's preached Word. That's one of the things that happens. You get what I'm saying here? Because you and I are the church. The church is not this building at 305 East First Street, but we are the church. You and I See, being a true Christ follower rather than an admirer of Jesus Christ means that you desire the things of God. You don't go to church to admire God. You don't go to church to go through a motion of three songs and hear a message and go back home. But you truly want God in your life. You seek Him. You cry for Him. You want Him. You truly live by the standard that God has set and how we say it at Christian Life Centers. There, you truly live by the standard that God has set. That's law. So now notice what this is. This sermon's going to do. Are you truly a Christ follower? Well, if you are, then you're, gonna tr- then you're truly going to live by the standard that God has set. That means obeying God's law. And then you look inside of yourself and what do you see? Um, I don't obey God's law perfectly. Mm, you're not really truly a Christ follower, then you must not really be a Christian. I mean, this is a formula for creating unbelievers. Love God, love others, and serve all people. I mean, you truly want to do that. It's just not something I do because it's on the wall of my church, because it's a mission statement. I want to tell you what. Being a true follower is, so turn to Luke, the ninth chapter, if you will. Today, I'm going to flood you with a host of scriptures. You need to write them down. Get out your... Flood you with a host, huh? Out of context, too, I bet. Your phone, type them. You need to do that. If you want to know who God is, if you want more of God in your life, then get in His Word. Luke 9 says this. Then He said... Everybody say, Jesus said. Everybody say, Jesus said. He said, that's Jesus, the words are in red. Then he said to the crowd, if any of you want to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways. Let me ask you this question. Have you ever been selfish this week? Yeah, today. Today? Yep, I sure have. Right now? You betcha. Well, none of us really want to admit that. I just did. You got anything for me? But he said, turn from your selfish ways. And then he goes on to say, take up your cross daily and follow me. So the question is, are we Christ followers or are we admirers of who Jesus is? Are we admirers? Yeah, you got, hey, listen, I, I just confess to you that I've been selfish. Is the solution for me to just, you know, take up my cross and follow Jesus? That's, and everything's just going to be okie dokie? You said that Jesus died for my sins. You might want to connect uh, that to my sin, right? There's of what he did. There's a true difference. He said, if you want to be my follower, you must. He didn't say it's optional. This is all law. He didn't say if you've got time. 
He didn't say if you feel like it. He didn't say when you get time, worship me. He said you must turn from your selfish ways. That means you get sin out of your life. If you're sinning... How are you doing in that, by the way, uh, Eddie? I mean, if we were to, you know, be a fly on the wall and just follow you around day after day, uh, what do you think that would show us? Have you gotten rid of the sin in your life? You're selfish. If you sin this week, you are selfish. If you sin in the last month, you are selfish. Right on, that's true. If you're living in sin this morning, it's a selfish way to live. Oh, uh, you're right. It absolutely is. You got anything for that? Can you can you offer me any hope? Say, well, I've been a Christ follower for a long time. I turned my life over to Jesus, but you're still dabbling in sin. <laughs> dabbling. Uh-huh. I'm an expert at it, and so are you. You you got anything for that problem? Dabbling. How do you spell that? D-A-B-B. Is that proper English? No, you spell dabbling. E-D-D-I-E-J-O-N-E-S. Yeah, Eddie, you still dabble in sin, and that's putting it kindly. Probably not. We're still choosing to participate. Well, I didn't really choose to. The devil was just on my back. No, you chose to participate in sin. Yes, you did, Eddie. And what do you, you got anything for that? And if you choose to participate in sin, you're simply being selfish. Well, yeah, that's true. Yeah, we've got that established. Selfishness is a sin and sinning is a sin. You got anything to help us out with that? Remember, you said something about Jesus forgiving sins. You might want to take the cross and use that as the solution for the sin problem. Because you want that more than you want this. So you can go to church all you want. You can be an admirer of Jesus and you can, you can say, well, I want God. And you can even put scriptures on Facebook. That's great. Post all the scriptures you want. But if you're living in sin, you are selfish and you desire what you want more than you desire what God wants. Are you a church, uh, Christ follower? Are you an admirer? Of what you think the church is. Are you an admirer of who Jesus is? Are you an admirer? The sad part about it is, based on the standard that he's holding up, he falls under the category of an admirer. And he really thinks that nobody's going to notice it. Admire of him because he done something in your life one time. Or do you truly follow him? That's what a transforming church is. He goes on to say, if you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you'll truly find it. I love what the Message Bible says. It says it this way. There's nothing in the Message Bible that I like, like period. I, I, I don't read it for leisure. I don't read it as a cross-reference. I, I, don't, I don't trust it as far as I can throw it. And it's not very aerodynamic. Anyone who intends to come with me has to let me lead. You're not in the driver's seat. I love it. He said, I am. Don't run from suffering, but embrace it. How many times do we complain and gripe about suffering we got to go through? Man, I'm going through this and so hard. I can't make it. People laugh at me. 
I thought if I served God, everything would work out. What's the deal? Why has God left me out here to die? Why has God left me in this situation? He said, quit trying to run from suffering. He said, embrace it. Follow me and I'll show you how. Self-help is no help at all. Self-sacrifice is the way, my way, to finding yourself your true self. Sell, see, this is another reason why you just don't read the message paraphrase. Um, what self-sacrifice is the way the tr- the way to find your true self? Uh, yeah, no. Um, number one, the goal of Christianity is not to quote find your true self. That's stuff that comes. That's a term that comes out of mysticism. And the true self means the divine self. That means you as a god. Um, I'm not sure if that's what was get what the guy who did the message paraphrase was getting at, but that language isn't very helpful at all, and it's not biblical. It's not in the original languages. That's not meant or implied in that passage. And no, self sacrifice is not the way to get there. Christianity is not based upon me sacrificing myself, but on Christ sacrificing Himself for me for my sins. Yeah, again, this is the kind of preaching that creates doubt, not faith. Because you look inside and what do you see? Ugh. Yeah, you're you're messed up. Yeah, you are. You need to be forgiven. And that's what you need. You need the cross. Stop looking inside of yourself. Inside, that's where the problem is. The solution is outside of you. The solution is Jesus Christ and him crucified for your sins and raised again on the third day for your justification. That's what the Message Bible says in that manner, the same scripture. I love this quote. It's a powerful quote. It says this, the symbol of Christianity is a cross. It's not a feather bed. I mean, we think that Christianity should be some some easy road. We think that Christianity is, oh man, I get all these little good feelings when I go to church. It makes me feel all warm inside and everything's going to be perfect. No, it's not. If you're going to become a radical follower of Jesus Christ, if you're going to be a transforming church, you're going to go through a bunch of junk. You're going to have junk and you're going to have pressure and you're going to have loads of stuff that's on your shoulders. I'm not telling you to accept Jesus and and all the little butterflies are going to fly around your head today and all of a sudden this little genie's going to pop out of the bottle and he's going to give you everything you want because it's not that way at all. Because being a Christ follower, Jesus said, if anyone is going to follow me, turn away from your selfish attitude, your selfish ways, and what you want. He said, and take up the cross. The cross represents weight. The cross represents heavy weight. It represents sacrifice. The cross represented something with sacrifice, the life of Jesus Christ. And if you are going to be a radical, follow. Uh, yeah, there again, you, can, you mentioned it. You know, the something with sacrifice, the life of Jesus Christ. Right? What was that sacrifice for again? Can you give me some of the details biblically as to what that was all about? Because that sounds like the solution to the problem I've got and the one that you've got too, Eddie. Of Jesus Christ, there will be sacrifice. Quit thinking that it's not going to be sacrifice. Quit thinking that it's going to be easy. Quit thinking that, man, all the little good, feel good stuff you feel now is always going to be there. You got to quit living on what you feel. I don't always feel like serving God. 
I don't always feel like giving God praise. I don't always feel like worshiping, but I don't live on what I feel. I live on what I know. And how do I know it? Some people are like, man, how do you do that? How do you walk through it? How do you get through that stuff? Because what I know, if you don't read it, if you don't pray, if you don't fast, guess what? You don't know it. You can post all you want on Facebook, putting scriptures on, and that's great, and that's awesome. But if you don't have it in your heart, if you're not living it, you don't know it, therefore your suffering will consume you. And you think, man, this whole living for God thing stinks. Before long, you give in to your selfish ways. See, I'm talking about being a transforming church, and what does that mean to you? You see, in the time that it takes for me to... What does that mean to me, being a transforming church? Well, it's not even a biblical phrase, so, um, yeah, it doesn't mean anything to me, like at all. And what kind of question is that anyways? Who cares what something means to me? The question is, what does it mean? And since you're not really preaching a biblical text and giving me a biblical concept or a biblical doctrine or something that I've encountered while being... Uh, fed God's word, um, yeah, what transforming church means, uh, means complete gibberish and gobbledygook. Read the next scripture. Get this. Another Christian will be killed because of their faith in Jesus Christ. You want to talk about suffering? You want to talk about radical Christianity? The next scripture that I read, in that amount of time, Somebody's going to die for their faith, not in the United States of America, not at Christian Life Center, not in any church in America this morning. Will someone die for their faith? But around the world, there are Christians every single day. As a matter of fact, in 2011, 160,000 people will lose their life because they take a stand for Jesus Christ. You want to talk about suffering? You want to talk about admiring or being a Christ follower? I mean, look at ourselves in the mirror. Do we really follow Jesus Christ? I mean, we've got the easiest place in the world, literally, to live for God. It's easier than anywhere else. But yet, we live such a half-hearted life sometimes. We live so half-hearted that if we got time, we do stuff for God. If we got time, we go worship. If we're not busy with what's going on in life, then we'll make time to do something God might want us to do. If I have time, I might read the scripture. If I get in a problem, then I'll pray. Don't even think about asking me to fast. Dude, what are you talking about? A 40-day fast? Come on. This is 2011. What are you talking about? I'm talking about being a radical follower of Jesus Christ, being a transforming church. Philippians 1 and verse 20, write it down, read it. You need to bring your Bible every week. Philippians 1 verse 20 says this, For I fully expect, as the Apostle Paul is talking, I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past. And I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ, whether I live or die. For me, for to me, living means living for Christ, and dying is even better. The Apostle Paul gives the story of his life and what his devotion is in this statement. He is in prison, and he says, if I live, I'm living for him. 
If I die, it's even better because I'm going to heaven. Let me help you understand something. As a radical Christ follower, you've got a reason to live and you've got a reason to die. We walk through this life and we admire Jesus and we put on our little feelings and we we say we go to church and we show up and we go through the motions. But if you're truly a radical follower of Jesus Christ, you're putting His Word in, you're eating His Word. It's becoming a spiritual discipline. Because Jesus was speaking to the radical people and He said this, When you give, I said it five weeks ago in a message, that is the reality that you do give. You give of yourself. You serve people. You serve all. He said, and when you pray, pray like this, because he knows that radical followers of his will pray. He said, when you fast, that is not an option. He says, when you fast, not if you fast, not if you have time. He said, when you do it, fast this way. See, we got to get off this little flighty little thing that thinks that, you know, sometimes I look at, at people and I think in weird stuff like, Sometimes when I think of these people that admire Jesus and they got these little fluffy Christianity, I think of these little ballet guys, you know. They got these tights on and they're up here doing this kind of stuff. And if you do ballet and you're a dude, I'm sorry. Okay? Sorry, I just offended you. But they look like they got on little tutu shoes. And they're all floating around like Jesus is perfect and I'm good. No, following Jesus means to be radical for him. You're going to get dumped on. It's going to be a wreck sometimes. But he said there's joy in suffering, knowing that he will walk with you through every battle, through every circumstance. And the Apostle Paul said this, I will never be ashamed, but I will continue to be bold for him. you got a reason to live and you got a reason to die. I want to ask you this question, what is the story of your life? Paul is telling the story of his life. When you think... what? Okay, uh, yeah, here's the problem here. Uh... Um, my life isn't the gospel. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, that's the gospel. Not my life. My life, you know, the sinner brought to regeneration, being born again, being brought to repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name. Yeah, uh, that's the result of hearing the gospel, and the gospel is the good news of what Jesus has done. Uh, for me. So, yeah, I don't go out around preaching my life. I preach Christ and Him crucified for our sins like the Apostle Paul did. What is the story of your life? We're, we're living on this planet Earth. What is the story of your life? What are you doing to share your story? Paul is walking through life and he's God, radical. God does not call us to share our stories. We're to be witnesses of Christ. ...been transformed on the road to Damascus. And he's going about in the world that's been given to him. And he's proclaiming Jesus Christ. Let me ask you this question. What are you doing right now to share your story of your life with Jesus Christ? What are you doing? I mean, does it matter to you? Literally, think with me. Does it matter to you that you've got friends and family that are going to die and go to hell? Hell is a real place. Yeah, it it really bothers me. That's why I don't preach my life. I preach Christ and him crucified for our sins because my life can't save nobody. There's burning there. People with sin go to hell. The Bible teaches that. Now listen carefully. People with sin, uh, that's bad, I guess. If you have sin, you go to hell. Well, we all sin. 
and fall short of the glory of God. You got anything for that, Pastor? I can't say it any plainer, and I'm going to say it. If you have sin in your life, you will go to hell. The Bible says that. (laughs) Well, then what was Jesus doing on the cross for? You said he died for my sins. Well, if he died for my sins, then don't you think that that's the the solution to the problem of sin? If you're living in sin and you don't ask God for forgiveness and you die and you have not asked God to come into your life and transform you, eternity is hell for you. Just like eternity for Christ's followers is heaven. It's a real place. He said he's gone to prepare it. And he also said the hell was prepared for Satan and his angels, but there was no... Notice here that uh, you can't really tell exactly how you're saved. Again, am I saved by trusting in Christ for the forgiveness of my sins? Or am am I saved by getting rid of the sin in my life? Which is it? No intent for anybody to ever go there. But you choose whether you go or not. God don't send people to hell. You choose to go there by being selfish and desiring to live in sin. You see, if you want to be a transforming church, that means that you are radical in your Christ following. Does it even matter to you today? Have you shared your story in your world? Does it even No, I really am not interested in sharing my story. My story is kind of lame. It, it goes like this. I was born dead in trespasses and sins. God, through his means of grace brought me to repentance and the forgiveness of my sins. I now trust in Christ for my salvation and what he's done for me. Ta-da! And every day I get to struggle with my sinful nature. That thing wants me dead, and uh, and so I've got to mortify the flesh using the Spirit and God's Word to do so. It's a fun, fun activity on a daily basis to have to deal with a sinful nature, especially one as pernicious and wicked as mine. So there, there's my story. Does that sound any different from anybody else's story? Yeah, not at all. Let me tell you about the story that really matters. Jesus Christ, born of the Virgin Mary, lived a perfectly sinless life, suffered under Pontius Pilate. His sins, my, his, he had no sin. My sin was put on him. Scripture says that uh, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. Got it? So I'm trusting in that. Because if Jesus really didn't die for all my sins, I haven't got a snowball's chance uh, of standing before God on the day of judgment and not hearing from him to hell with you. Because that's what I've deserved. I deserved it yesterday, I deserved it today, I deserved it the day before yesterday, the day before that, 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 all the way back to the day I was conceived. And every day that I'm still breathing God's air on his green planet Earth, I'm going to earn hell every single day. So if there isn't mercy, if my sins haven't been atoned for, if I if I I don't I don't got a chance of standing before God. And you know what? If Christ isn't raised from the dead, then he isn't God, and when I stand before God, my ten, my sins aren't atoned for and the thing I've earned is hell, and you better believe for I'm not going to complain about the verdict cuz I know that's what I've earned. My only hope, my only hope is if Jesus Christ truly was who he claimed to be and really did 
propitiate the wrath of God by dying as my substitute, being bruised, pierced, crushed for my sins and for my iniquities. If that sacrifice doesn't apply to me, I haven't got a chance. Not one single chance. But see, the gospel tells us that Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That it's not God's will that any should perish. That Jesus Christ died for your sins and for mine. And we're called to repent and trust in Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. Stop looking inside of yourself. Because when you look inside of yourself, you're still going to see a sinner. Because you still suffer with your sinful flesh. You're never going to measure up and the law is never going to give you any assurance. Stop looking to that. Look to Christ. Look to the gospel. Look to the bleeding, dying, scourged, beaten Jew who is hanging dead on the cross for your sins and mine. And on the third day rose again for our justification. Stop looking at yourself. Look outside of yourself. Look to him. Trust that that sacrifice was for you. It matter to you today that you got friends and family that don't know Jesus. I mean, think with me for just a moment. Does it really matter? Well, yeah, sure, sure it matters. Oh, yeah, I don't want them to go to hell. We're just floating around these little aerobics. We got on the tutu shoes. No, I'm saying, does it matter? Okay, do you understand? They're going to burn in hell if you don't do something about it. If you don't share your story. Paul was out sharing his... You know, Paul was out preaching Christ and him crucified for our sins. Paul was not out sharing his story. Story. He was living in prison, but he wasn't crying around saying, Oh God, get me out of here. I'm suffering so bad and I'm doing everything you tell me. But yet we sit around sometimes and we talk about, oh God, I got it so bad. Why am I going through this? Why did you leave me out here to die? The children of Israel are standing at the Red Sea and they're whining and complaining. God, you brought us out here to die. Why didn't you leave us in Egypt? And some of us have that attitude as Christians, as admirers. God, you just left me out here. But when you're radical for God, you truly understand if I don't do something... If I don't witness, if I don't share my story, if I don't pray, if I don't fast, if I don't give, my family, my family might actually end up dying without Jesus Christ. If I don't, if I don't. I mean, are we intent about doing that? Understand something, every year on planet Earth, get this, every year 55 million people die on planet Earth. Every year. Every single day, 155,000 people check out. Every day. Every single hour, get this, 6,458 people are meeting their maker. And at that point, what they have already lived determines where they go. Well, I live for God most of my life, but man... Right now, you know, I'm just kind of taking a hiatus from God. You can't take a hiatus from God. Well, God will honor the last 25 years I live for Him, but, but right now I'm just, I'm just taking a little break for me. Take a break for you. Turn from your selfish ways, take up the cross, and follow me. 
It's tough. I'm sorry, but it's hard. He died so that you could have life. Every single minute, 108 people meet their maker. What am I doing about that in my world? I mean, just in the last 20 minutes that I've been speaking, approximately 2,160 people have died since I've been talking for 23 minutes. 2,160 people have died. And when you look at your world, where do you live? What do you do? I mean, we live in the United States of Missouri, and here we, United States of Missouri. That's where we live. We live in the state of Missouri, and when you look at that, what are you doing to make a difference with that? Ask yourself this question. Does it matter to me that 2,160 people have died since Eddie's been preaching this morning? If you're an admirer, you'd say, yeah, I mean, that stuff happens. But if you're a true Christ follower, you ask yourself this question. What does that do to me? What does it do to you? You know, I really get tired of hearing people put everybody in heaven. You need to understand something. Everybody's not going to go to heaven. People go to hell. It's a real place. I preached the funeral of my grandfather, Alfred Mills, nine weeks ago. And for 79 years, he lived the most wretched life that a man could live. Never, ever, one time, ever admitted that God was even real. Lived as an alcoholic. And when I preached his funeral, I wasn't there when he died, but my father was. And he called me and he said, Eddie, Grandpa's going to die soon. Pray for him. My grandpa never regained consciousness at all. And as far as we know, he died without ever accepting Jesus Christ. I can't put him in heaven. I hope he is, and we serve a God of grace. And God can do anything he wants at any time he wants. But you need to understand something. Everybody's not going to heaven. And if they don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, if they're living in sin and they're living separated from God, and you die, the world comes to an end. Whatever happens, there's heaven and there's hell. They're real places. And what does it do to you? What do you think about that? I mean, as a Christ follower, which it means you're a transforming church, what are you doing to share your story with your family, with your friends? What are you doing about that? What are you doing to share your story? I mean, when you think about where you live, everybody that attends Christian Life Center basically lives in the four-county area that you see on the screen. That's where you live. What are you doing about that? What are you doing to share it in your county, in your neighborhood, where you live? Are you sharing your story? You see, because if you're truly a radical Christ follower, you're going to do something about it. If you're just an admirer of Jesus Christ... Who really gives a rat's if 2,160 people died in the last 20 minutes? I mean, really think about it. I'm talking about a call to be a transforming church. I'm talking about the call that God called this church to. And as your leader and as your pastor, God called us to lead in that way. And that's the way we will lead. Based on Matthew 28 19. And it says this, Go therefore into all the world. 
He said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That is our call. That is our mission to be a transforming church. You see, being a Christ follower, it's not a game, but it is a responsibility. It is a commission. It is walking the walk. It's, it's a lifestyle to be lived. It's not something to be talked about. And here's how we're going to say it in this series. Less talk and more walk. Uh, uh, you might want to like up the talk. Yeah, because uh, we're not hearing like hardly anything of the Bible. You said you're going to flood us with scripture here. Um, yeah, um, so far this flood has, well, turned out to be nothing more than like, a, well, a, it's kind of like a dripping faucet, you know, Chinese water torture style. Write it down. Stamp it in your forehead. You need to get that. Less talk and more walk. We have got to come to a place in our radical Christ following that there's less talk and more walk when we take up the cross. Yes, the rugged cross. Yes, the cross that represents sacrifice. Yes, the cross I'm talking about that Jesus bled on. The cross I'm talking about. Yeah, can you give us some more details about that? I mean, because every time you talk about Jesus bleeding and something about him dying for our sins... That see that's the thing you you want to connect to the sin problem, and you're not really doing that. Now, that represents suffering. The cross. I'm so the cross only represents suffering. Okay. I'm talking about that says yes. I will be radical for Jesus Christ. Why don't you tell everyone about how radical Jesus Christ was for us? I'm talking about. People that understand the Bible doesn't teach it just a little foo-foo Christianity walking around in tights and tutu shoes, but it teaches that it's difficult. It's not easy. Our students at camp this year learned a little saying. It says this, average is easy. Anybody can be average. Anybody can go through the motions. Anybody can show up. Anybody can be show up Sam every Sunday. Anybody can be show up Sally. That's easy. Average is easy. Our students learned that at camp this year. And, and I, I begin to think about how do we go through church sometimes in the same way. Average is easy. Go to church. Do my little deal. But when you give, when you pray, when you fast, it shows that there is radical commitment to serving God. John, the fourth chapter in the 34th through the 38th verse, Jesus said it this way. He said, then Jesus explained, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me. Yeah, uh, can you put any of that in context, please? I mean, notice every single verse just ripped out of context and some kind of thing you got to do. Apparently, this is something Jesus did, so you've got to do this now, too. You know. And from finishing his work. You know that the saying says four months between planting and harvest, but I say wake up and look around. The fields are ready and they're ripe for harvest. The harvesters are paid good wages and the fruit... They harvest as people brought to eternal life. As a Christ follower, you need to get this. The fruit we harvest as people brought to eternal life. Does it matter to you? Does it matter that 108 people are dying every minute? Does it matter to you that you have family, you've got friends, you've got co-workers? Man, this is... Again, this is like Chinese water torture. That if you don't share your story with them, 
if you don't give of yourself, does it matter to you that you've got family, friends, and co-workers that if you don't pray for them, you don't fast for them, they could die without a Savior? Does that even matter? He said the fruit is people brought to eternity. Can, can you explain the part about having a Savior? Because you, know, you keep mentioning that, but... Then again, you keep talking about how I've got to do all these things or else I'm not in because I have sin. Eternal life. He said, what joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike. You know the saying, one plants and another harvest. And it's true. I sent you to the harvest where you didn't plant and others had already done, done the work. And now you are going to be the one that's going to get the harvest. Let me ask you this question. What are you doing right now? To harvest people. You want to know the mission of Christian Life Center? Christian Life Center is located at 305 East 1st Street. That is this building. This church, this building, this location on Google Earth is not a transforming church. This is not a transforming church. Because I am the church. And when I go on my everyday life, when I live next to my family, when I am in my neighborhood, when I am at work, I am the church. When I, when I, when I... Can you tell me about Jesus again? You keep making hints that he might be my savior. I'd like to get a little bit more data about that, please. And I choose to be an admirer or a follower of him. I choose whether I'm a transforming church or not. When you go to your community, when you go to the people you live with, that's who we are. God sent Karen and I here eight years ago with a mission, a direct call, and a commission from God himself. And as the... Uh, no, he's one of these vision casting guys. I wonder if he can make heads or tails of uh, Will Mancini's book. The leader... I commit that I will not allow us to stray from a God-given path and a God-given vision. And you need to understand that. You see, everybody's got ideas about what the church needs to be. And everybody's got their opinions about what the church should be. And the fact is, God's Word already tells us what it should be. You see, the church is not inside here. The church has lived out there. This is only the place we come and we join together and we worship Him and we give and we pray and we fast and we go back out into the world where we live. We become the church. Less talk and more walk. We can say, oh, I'm a Christian. You wear the t-shirt. Who really cares? But are you living it every single day in the world that you're in? Everybody's got their opinions and everybody's got their thoughts. But we say it this way at Christian Life Center, we're going to create an atmosphere to convince unconvinced people. Proverbs 11 and 30 says this, it says, the people... We're going to create an atmosphere to convince unconvinced people. Yeah, that's not how Christians are made, by convincing them using an atmosphere. No, they're raised again from the dead. They are reborn of God through the preaching of the gospel, the word of Christ. Yeah, this isn't about convincing unconvinced people. It's about raising dead people from the dead, you know, raising them to life. That's the difference. Semi-Pelagianism and Pelagianism has 100% wrong. You just got to convince unconvinced people. No, you got to raise dead people from the dead.
That's what you got to do. And that doesn't happen by your power or mine or your clever arguments or mine. No, that comes through the preaching of God's word. What does Paul say? One plants and other waters. It's God who gives the increase. It's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. It is faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Yes, for you, you were dead in trespasses and sins, but God made you alive in Christ. Yeah, we're not convincing the unconvinced. We're raising the dead. Big difference. But, you know, that's true Christian evangelism, by the way, raising the dead. People that win souls are the wise people. Have you led anybody to Christ? Have you been a transforming church? Can people look at you and see there's truly radical difference? Or do they just hear you talking about going to church on weekends? I mean, what do they see when they look at you? You see, the last commandment of Jesus Christ was that we go into the world and share the love of Jesus with them. And that should be our first priority. Let me just ask you this question. Is that your first priority? As a radical Christian, as a radical Christ follower, do you just admire Jesus on the weekends? Do you just admire that, oh yeah, I'm a Christian? Or is it your priority? Do you think about, man, if I don't, if I don't share my story with someone today, they might go to hell. I, I guarantee you, if you share your story with somebody, they'll still go to hell. You need to share the story of Jesus Christ, not your story. I think we need to start thinking about that. Not just saying, well, they need Jesus. Not just saying, oh, well, you know, there's a better place for those. And, you know, and everybody, everybody don't go to heaven. People go to hell when they don't serve God, when they don't get sin out of their life, and they don't. They, well, people go to hell when they don't serve God, when they don't get sin out of their life. Uh-huh. Yeah. By his standard, well, <laughs> sounds to me like he's going to hell completely turn their life over to him, that their life brings glory and honor to Jesus Christ. Okay, I'm going to back this up. Again, listen to this. If you were to hear this sermon and you didn't know the gospel, how would you think that you are saved? Listen. Go to hell. I think we need to start thinking about that. Not just saying, well, they need Jesus. Not just saying, oh, well, you know, there's a better place for those. And, you know, and everybody, everybody will go to heaven. People go to hell when they don't serve God, when they don't get sin out of their life, and they don't completely turn their life over to Him, that their life brings glory and honor to Jesus Christ. His Word teaches that. Oh, well, it doesn't sound like any Christian's going to go to heaven then. Sounds like we're all going to hell. And you need to grasp hold of that because we have a responsibility. It's mine and your responsibility. It's a commission from Him. We will change the way you think about church. I'm talking about changing the way people think. This is not a transforming church. We, you, me, we are the transforming church going into the world, sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what this series, that's what... Could you, could you give me some more details about the gospel? That means good news. Can you tell me a little bit more about the good news part? Because so far, yeah, I mean, it, it's like the teaser, you know. You keep teasing me with it, but never really giving it to me. Today is about Colossians, the fourth chapter, and the fifth verse says this. It says, live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Ask yourself, 
Am I making the most of opportunities? Are you? Because if you don't, well, then you're probably going to hell. Are you trying to come across opportunities? Are you looking for opportunities to share your faith? For a moment, I want to just speak to us that are Christ followers. Are you looking for opportunities? Make the most of those opportunities. A few months ago, I shared with our team just actually about three or four weeks ago that a few months ago, God convicted me about something and I began to engage in that. By the way, the fact that God convicted him about something meant he was doing something wrong, that he hadn't completely gotten the sin out of his life. Otherwise, God wouldn't have convicted him, right? Eight years ago when I moved here, I was very intentional about spending a lot of time with people that were far from God. And over the past couple of years, as the church has grown and as we've made different steps and my, my time, I allowed, I allowed my time to become consumed with church business, church programs, and church people. And I shared this with my team just a few weeks ago, that God convicted me about that. Because I, I haven't spent the time with people far from God enough lately. And see, that's really what the church is about. Not this church, the church, the church. Once you accept Jesus Christ, you are the church. And the church exists for one reason, to bring other people to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And there we go. There's Stephen Furtick's theology. The church exists for one reason, to bring people to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Wrong. Uh, the church has a twin mission, to make disciples and to teach those disciples. All of the teaching gifts in, that are given by the Holy Spirit to people, uh, those, te those te uh, teaching gifts are for the building up and the teaching and edification of the body of Christ. So no, the church doesn't just exist for non-believers. That's not true. So I began looking for opportunities. Every opportunity, I pray, God, give me opportunities today. Wherever I was at, whatever I was doing. Last weekend, someone from church called me on Saturday afternoon. And some of you that know me very well know that a lot of times on Saturday, I don't, I don't do a lot of things outside or where I'm gone or consume my mind with stuff because I want to be ready for Sunday. But this opportunity, this guy called me and said, hey, hey, you want to go to this thing with me? It's called Steaks and Stogies, and it's at this men's deal called the St. James Sports Club. Well, the St. James Sports Club is this little club of guys that get together, and they're all about sponsoring uh, programs in the community, baseball and girls' soccer, and they're all about doing all these different things in the community, like Boy Scouts, and at Christmas they give away toys. So I said, yeah, I'll go. He said, well, I want you to know before you go, he said, you know, it, it, it's a men's club. It has nothing to do with Christianity, and there's going to be a lot of stuff going on, probably be an open bar, and people probably be drunk. And I said, perfect. I shared with him, I said, you know what, God, God has been convicting me about that, and, and he knew that, I'd shared that with him, and I said, God has been convicting me about, I need to be spending more time with people far from God, and quit spending so much time with people that are close to God. So I went. And you know, you, it's hard for you to understand unless you've been a pastor before, but, you know, people kind of have this little thing that they think about you, and they say about you, you know, so 
I'm not ashamed of what I do. I'm not ashamed of who I am. But I didn't walk in there proclaiming, hey, yeah, I'm the preacher and I've showed up, so shut the bar down. Unless it's communion. I didn't show up that way, but I just started meeting guys and talking and doing that. And, you know, little by little, you have conversation and somebody says, so what is it you do? What do you work? And when you say, I'm a pastor, you say it in that voice, yes. You can just see almost all the blood drain out of people's face sometimes. So that happened, and so we're hanging out, and we was there for an hour or so, and they're cooking steaks, and people are, you know, at the open bar, all these guys are, and they're smoking stogies, and, and all this stuff's going on. And, you know, so I'm just there, and I'm, I'm meeting people, meeting, greeting, you know, doing all this stuff. And they didn't know this, but they were having this washer tournament where you pitch washers and you win, so... Uh, me and Greg Gray, he's the one who invited me. We, we decided to join. I mean, I don't pitch washers, and, and it was pretty evident because the first, when we played our first round, we lost immediately 21 to 2. Like within eight minutes, we were out, you know. So finally, they get the steaks done, and we're there for the steaks, you know, the ribeyes. So we're in there eating, and they come in and they say, uh, Jones and Gray, Jones and Gray. And we're like, oh no, we've already lost. We're out of it. They said, oh no, it's double elimination. Come on, you're in. So we go out and we play around and we actually win a game. And uh, long story short, we won another one and another one and another one and another one. We just kept winning. And after about three and a half hours, we're still winning at Washers. We're in the finals of the St. James Sports Club. The preacher. And when I play with guys, they'd be like, oh, what the fuck? I missed that one. Oh, sorry about that, preacher. And so the preacher's winning. Didn't even know there was a washer tournament. So we get to the end. We're playing the last guys. They have not lost at all. So that means we got to beat them twice. Me, it's, it's dark by this time. We're playing by streetlights, literally. There's about 25 or 30 guys there. By this time, there's about 10 left. We're still pitching washers. We're just playing. We beat them the first game. We won the first game, but we got to beat them again. Long story short, we lost miserably the second game. And while we were playing the second game, I'm out there and I'm like, I mean, we're getting eaten up by mosquitoes, you know, and all this going on. And I said to the director guy, I said, hey, what are we playing for, bragging rights? And he just said, uh, no. He said, we got, uh, we got surprises. That was kind of about it. So when we finished, they said, well, you guys won second place, and the first place guys get to pick out their their prize first, but you guys come on in here. And when we go into this room, I notice there's like 10 or 12 guys and they're standing there looking at us as we're walking in. And the prizes are up against the wall facing them. And I'm just kind of watching them. I'm like, well, yeah, I mean, it's a little welcoming committee, you know. And I turned the corner and this is what I found. Because I'm a winner. I won second place and they're looking at me and this is what I found. Oh, sorry. Here we go. Corona. I am the proud winner. There are six beer signs and there are six people that won. And these guys are looking at me. And I know what they're thinking. There's the preacher. What's he going to do now? We got him. I walked over and I looked. Looked at the Smirnoff sign. Looked at the Bud Light sign. Looked at the mirrored sign. I just kept looking, looking. Finally, I picked up my Corona sign. I walked over to the president. I said, thank you for letting me play in the tournament. Thank you for the steak. I enjoyed being with you tonight. 
did a little small talk, shook everybody's hands and left. We got out to the truck and I just started laughing. I said, you know what? I guarantee you those guys are sitting there scratching their head just thinking to themselves, what's this preacher going to do? I can tell you a lot of times I hate showing up and being the preacher. Because you see, I love Jesus whether I ever preach another message or not. Because actually everybody in this room, your preachers, by quit talking so much and just start walking it. For five and a half hours, I was at Steaks and Stogies and I mingled, I had fun, talked to those guys and in the end, I won a beer sign. And you know what? I think something might have been said to them. Scott didn't come in screaming and yelling and putting anybody down. He was just real. When was the last time he was just simply real? Cueing the sappy music early here. Um, okay, this is where I'm going to stop. Here's the deal. There's, I would argue that everybody in the congregation is real on a daily basis. Okay, I don't know anybody who doesn't, on a regular basis, hang out with people who are not Christians. Um, it's it's a rare person that is so completely isolated from the world that they have no interaction with people outside of Christianity. Do you go to work? Yeah. Do you work in a Christian company? Probably not. Are your coworkers Christians? Most of them aren't. Okay. You know, how about when you go grocery shopping? Bunch of Christians there? There might be a few. The point is this, is that, yeah, it's great advice to be real and all this kind of stuff, but here's the deal. If you really, really are concerned about the unbelievers in your proximity, in your circle of influence, if you would, then don't share your life because everybody in your circle of influence knows you're screwed up. They do. I mean, you're just not going, if you tell them that Christianity is all about you cleaning up your life, getting rid of your sin and all that kind of stuff, they're going to say, you are the biggest hypocrite ever. Yeah, here you are passing yourself off as somebody who's righteous and you're not. Instead, preach about the Jesus who died for sinners, who forgives sinners, who propitiates the wrath of God and who was punished for sinners. Let them know that you are a sinner. And that's why you need Jesus. And that's why you're so thankful about the one who was born under the Virgin, born by the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died and was buried and was raised again on the third day for our sins and for our justification. Point to the sinless one. Point to the merciful one. Point to our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Don't point to yourself except for to say, I need Jesus' blood to forgive me. I need it today. I need it tomorrow. I needed it yesterday. And so do you. And the good news is, is that Christ bled and died for you over and again eddie talks about you know jesus being the savior and yet he never connects it 
It's as if the gospel's out there free-floating, and he can't connect it to his theology. You know why he can't? Because he's not preaching the righteousness of Christ and the free forgiveness of sins. He's actually preaching a form of works righteousness and self-righteousness. That's why he can't hook the gospel up to this thing. That's why the gospel doesn't make sense in this theology. It's like the piece that never fits into the puzzle. And the reason why? Because this theology is really all about works. He's preaching doubt, not faith. He's preaching self-righteousness, not the righteousness of Christ. He's preaching works, not the free gift. That's the problem. He hasn't made sense of the cross. As a result of it, the cross doesn't make sense in this kind of preaching. He keeps coming up. He knows it's something. It's important, but he can't make it fit. That's because it doesn't fit. Sad. Very sad. So many things wrong with that. Ay, 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 ay. It's not that he's not well-meaning. He is. It's not that he doesn't have a heart for the lost. He does. But he doesn't know the gospel. He doesn't truly understand the difference between law and gospel and the f- different functions that they both play in Christian theology. Truly really sad. All right, we are up on our, well, let's the end of the program. <laughs> Just a reminder, this is listener-supported radio. If you don't already support us, visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. And when you get there, you'll see the two friendly yellow buttons. Click on one. And thank you for your support. If you'd like to uh, send in a gift the traditional way, you can do so by making your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send that to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. So uh, what do you think? I'd love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me, you can. Talk back at fightingforthefaith.com or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of our sins, every single one of them. Amen. Amen.